The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The text for today's sermon comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 28. Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 through 28. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might find their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray one more time together. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for your people. Thanks for gathering us together today to again center ourselves around King Jesus and consider one another. And God, as we look at your word today, we want to we wanna have hearts burning with love for you that would make us burn with love for those around us. And so we're asking you to do that by your spirit, Lord, that doesn't come naturally to us. Other people are often not convenient or easy. It's often inconvenient and messy. Maybe in the world we live in, we feel like they're mainly against us, and yet, God, you call us to be for them. And so, God, help our hearts burn with love for Jesus in such a way they would burn with love for those around us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're continuing to look at how we can, as a family in Jesus and citizens of heaven, engage in the Great Commission to make disciples of Jesus by embodying the greatest commands to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. And last week, we started to look at just a few simple steps of faithfulness to actually carry that out. And so the the first simple step of faithfulness last week was that we're a family that needs to gather together. In fact, the word for church means gathering. And we're to gather together to center around Jesus and then consider one another to stir each other up to love and good works. And today I want us to see that we're called to be a people that after we gather, center around Jesus, stir one another up to love and good works, then we're called to scatter, to faithfully live and love and speak and shine as lights for Jesus in a lost and broken world. In other words, we're not an insulated family just wants to stay right here. We want to go and we want to shine 
the light of Christ. And the first thing that I think I need, therefore I'm assuming you need, to take this step of faithfulness in shining as lights is a mindset that sees sovereign purpose and mercy in our being in these south cities in this moment. Like, I want you to believe that there's sovereign purpose and mercy in us being where we are. So listen to what a uh, part of what Alan just read, Acts 17, 24-27, and listen for sovereign purpose and mercy. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place in order that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. And so Paul walks into this place and he's observing what ideas in this place are shaping and defining the place. Where are these people looking for life and breath and everything? Think about your own neighborhood and your culture. Where are people looking for life and breath and everything? And then he engages with the truth. He tells them the, the truth about where life and breath and everything comes and who this unknown God really is. So we should seek to understand what ideas define and shape our culture as well. But what I want to focus on in this section is the actual truth that Paul spoke to them because it's universal in every culture. It's universal in every culture. And here's the truth. The God of the Bible made everything. Right? You remember Genesis 1. He made everything. He is Lord of everything. Right? As people are looking for life and breath and these other things that need to be continually fed like an idol in their hearts, continually nourished, Paul would say, there's a God who's not needy like an idol. He doesn't need anything from you. He's not relying on people to feed him and care for him. Rather, he's the giver of life and breath and everything. And this giver of life and breath and everything, you just see the purpose narrowing? He made it all. Not only did he make it all, he determined the boundaries and the dwelling places and the time periods for all mankind. So let me ask you this. Do you believe you live where you live right now because you chose to live in that house or because God put you in that house? What's, what's more true? Both are true. <laughs> what's, what's most true? Who do you think made the final decision? Do you think our church is located here in this place because of us or because of God? What's most true? We believe here God is sovereign over all things. And this text teaches us we are where we are as a church and as individuals because God determined it. So here He is giving life and breath and everything to all mankind. Here he is determining boundaries and dwelling places and times and seasons for those boundaries and dwelling places. Why? Why does the Creator who determines all those things do that? 
I just, again, hear grace and mercy in this next phrase. It says, in order that they should seek God and feel their way towards Him, that perhaps they'd find Him. In other words, God is setting up boundaries and time periods for people to dwell and for us to be here as a local church that people might seek and find God. What could be more important about where you live than that? What could be more important than what God is is doing than bringing people to Himself? We need this mindset, though. Do we see our neighborhoods as we look out at people raking their leaves, some of them spoiled on their riding lawnmowers, right? It's going way quicker for them than for us. Do we see image bearers made this way? Like, they're there that they might find God. And you might be there that they might find God. Do we see these South Cities this way as we scatter to our workplaces and our teams and our co-ops that people might find God? Do we want to understand what defines and shapes the people around us with a sense of curiosity and true love and true listening in order that we might speak the unchanging, unshakable hope of Jesus and help these places love God with all their hearts and love their neighbors and make disciples that it might multiply? You can apply this idea to your living room. Like that's why your living room is there. <laughs> That people might seek and find God to your workplace, to your extended family, to your schools, to your co-ops, to your sports, to your coffee shops, to your gyms, and wherever else you regularly are. Do we see ourselves as in this place, in God's plan, for the good of this place? Do we see ourselves as in this place, for the good of this place, Or do we see ourselves defined by the polarization that we'd be quick to make us see ourselves in this place against this place? Which one is it? We are placed by God in particular places, in particular times for the eternal good of those places that people might seek and find God. That's why we exist. That's why we are where we are. That's what God is doing. It says so right here. And do we see ourselves that way? We're here for the good of this place. Or do we see ourselves, even as a church, mainly seeking to to win the culture wars or mainly seeking to shine the light of Jesus in the broken places? What's priority number one? Now don't get me wrong, but I'm I'm not saying we can shy away from teaching the commands of Jesus. I'm not saying that we can shy away from the sweet, life-giving freedom of all-in obedience to Jesus and His commands. We have to talk about it. We have to teach it. We often, as a place and a people, will not fit the world's morality and we'll have to say something about it because we love Jesus. We likely won't be able to fit into any particular agenda perfectly. But it is a lie of our current reality and the algorithms on your phone that those we disagree with on morality we must also be angry about and afraid of. That's just a lie. It's just not true. If we have that mindset, 
Like we got to jump on one of these bandwagons and be afraid of, of other things and angry at everybody. It will be us against the world. And it will be us against some of our neighbors. <laughs> Instead, we need this mindset of sovereign placement in places in order that blind people who can't yet see the truth of the gospel might wake up. Might wake up and see Jesus Christ. Engage them as image bearers. Show them the love of Christ in word and deed. We are in this place for this place that people might feel their way towards God and that if they would, that the gospel would then transform people and the places they're in from the inside out which would be a lasting change. It would be an eternal change, not just a, a temporary win here or there. Point number one, then, let's dive into how, how this works. Faithful living in a place as lights. So turn to Revelation 2, uh, chapter 1, or t- Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7. While you're there, I'll just give you some background. The last few months... And I've been thinking about autonomy and just thinking about the church. I've just been re-looking at the church in Ephesus kind of over and over again. And we get to see it initially planted in the book of Acts. Paul addresses the elders in Acts 20 and he calls them to keep a close watch on the flock that King Jesus has purchased by his blood. So here's this people in this place with these leaders and he's saying, watch over them. Commend them to the word of grace. And then Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians. And the first three chapters are just this glorious gospel, right? You're a chosen people. You're a predestined people, adopted, redeemed, saved by grace, good works prepared for you to walk in, commended for their faith and their love. He calls them then to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel in chapter 4. And of those amazing realities that they know and they love, they're to seek unity with one another. They're supposed to grow as a building built on Jesus. Put off what is old. Put on what is new. Walk in love. Be filled with the Spirit. Put on the whole armor of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And as I read about that church, as I see the church in Ephesus planted, and I see elders established, and I see their faith and love commended, and the gospel promises and realities recounted in the calling to a life of love, my heart goes, I want this for us. I want this for us. I want God to do this for us here. Same Savior, same calling, same Spirit to empower a people that continually centers around the gospel, rejoices that we're adopted and redeemed and loved and forgiven, and then goes, just want to live in a way that shows that I'm adopted, redeemed, loved, and forgiven. Just want the world to, to see how good Jesus is. That's what I want for us, the Spirit working in all, but to bring about unity in our differences, to bring about love in the hard places and hard spaces, the Spirit working to make a people not just a club, a family, not just a, a, a place. I don't want this to be another CrossFit. If you go to CrossFit, it's great. I just don't want this to be that. I want it to be more. I want it to be a true family of faith seeking to love Jesus with all their heart, souls, minds, and strengths. And I just think a huge part of our gospel witness is simply us together walking in love and forgiveness and holiness with Jesus and each other 
Because that is such a strange thing in the world we live in. It is a strange thing to be a, a part of a place that majors on forgiveness. Be a part of a place that majors on uh, asking for forgiveness, that majors on repentance, that majors on enduring love, that majors on unshakable joy, that majors on unity amidst differences. That's a strange place to be a part of. That's the kind of place that someone would go, Jesus must be real, or at least they think he is, enough that it changes how this place works. So this church was likely planted around 50 to 52 A.D. And this letter to the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation was probably written in the early 90s A.D., which means that at the point we're reading this letter, the church is probably about 40 years old. That's a long time to be a church in one place and be faithful, isn't it? 40 years. It would be good and right today especially maybe to pause here and thank God that as far as we can tell in the history of Bethlehem, there's been faithfulness for 150 years to the gospel. God, by His Spirit, (laughs) has kept this place, right? 150 years. 40 years is a long time. 150 feels even longer. That's a long time to be a church and be faithful. And we, we know this place as the church in Ephesus, in this multi-center kind of city, planted, watered, rooted. Don't you want that for us? Planted, watered, rooted in this place for a long time. And we see here in Revelation that the church is planted, watered, and rooted in order that it might shine into the darkness around it. And I say that because the churches in these letters are referred to as lampstands, right? That they have these lampstands, this light emanating from them. So why does he call them that? Now the author of Revelation is also the author of the book of John. And here's what John 12 35 to 36 says, it says, The light is among you for a little while longer. This is Jesus talking about himself. I'm going to be here a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So the picture here I think we see in Revelation is that Jesus is the light. All reality is seen most rightly, most clearly, most truly through Jesus. And he calls them to believe in the light that they would become sons of light so that those lights together become a lampstand that emanates out into the darkness. So kids, let me put it this way. I don't know if you've ever been to our candle lighting service on Christmas Eve or maybe you've seen it at another church, but right One person starts with the light, and they go to a few different people, and they start to light it all the way up, and suddenly the room is filled with light. And that's what's the picture that's going on here. Jesus is the light. He's the the one light, but His light spreads and keeps spreading into the darkness. His power and presence is the source of our light shining into the darkness. And this picture of a lampstand is a picture of the church, a bunch of sons and daughters of light collectively shining into the darkness of the place they dwell. And so the picture 
is a church planted in Ephesus to shine the light of Jesus as he walks with them and among them. But if they decide to walk away from him, he says he'll take away their lampstand. So what he's about to say is really serious. Here you are, church. You've been planted for 40 years. You've been planted for 40 years. And I want you to keep shining. But if you walk away from me in these things, I'll take it away. And so we want to hear these words and we want to go, okay, Jesus, in this moment, for us, a church planted for a long time, how do we stay faithful? How do we keep our lampstand on? How do we keep shining? What are you asking of us? What are you calling us to? And in these seven verses, we see two basic things in the form of a commendation and a confrontation. So he's going to commend them for some things and he's going to confront them on some things. So let's look at the commendation first. Look at verses 2 to 3 and then verse 6. Jesus says to this 40-year-old church, he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Verse 6, Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So the commendation, and sometimes when we read the, the churches in Revelation, we read them, we just go, oh, here's where they were really bad, right? We just talk about the bad stuff. Maybe because we're reformed, we like to be hard on ourselves. Um, but this is a real commendation. He's commending them. This, you've done this well. Keep doing this. And the commendation is faithfulness in doctrine and living. That's like all of it, right? <laughs> You've done a good job. You've been faithful in doctrine and living. False teachers have come. They've said they're super apostles, having power over people, claiming to be apostles, teaching false things, and you didn't fall for it. Right? Other people, other churches fell for it. We see it in Revelation. In other words, they gathered together for 40 years that the word of Christ dwell in them richly. They admonished each other. They endured in faithfulness to the word of God. They didn't fall for false teaching. And just like Paul had commended to them all the way back in Acts 20, right, they just gave themselves to the word of grace, which is able to build them up and give them an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And here they are, 40 years later, faithful to the word of God. And they didn't fall for cultural influences and giving into sin, right? The Nicolaitans were likely, there's some confusion, there's different opinions, but they're likely some kind of group that either suggested or permitted some type of mixing of idol worship at the temple and sexual immorality, which is often part of that worship, as part of the Christian faith, or at least something that was okay to continue in the Christian faith. But the church had endured in faithful living. They made disciples, not just, just knew the commands of Jesus, but right, what did we see a couple weeks ago? That learned to observe all that Jesus had commanded, to follow Jesus in the freedom of all he had commanded. False teaching and sinful culture will always be here. <laughs> if you're thinking, man, it's just so much worse in our day and age, 
You read Revelation, you can read 1 Corinthians, like it's always been here, there's nothing new under the sun, false teaching, sinful living, always been here, always will be here. And one of the ways we remain is a lampstand shining the light of Jesus is faithfulness in doctrine and living. It's being faithful. Just sticking close to the Word of God, trying our best to abstain from sin, to let the Word so transform us as we hear it and take it in and admonish one another with it that we exhort one another away from false ideas and from sinful practices. We live in a world with a lot of false ideas about God. They're going to keep coming. Even in the church, right? I just read some survey that was put out about all these core doctrines of the faith that like, 30, 40, 50% of evangelical Christians say they don't believe anymore. They're not sure about it anymore. So we live in this kind of swirling, pluralistic place with all sorts of ideas, and we want to remain faithful. And it matters to remain faithful, not so we can say we're faithful, because we love Jesus. We want to get Him right. We want to know Him as He truly is, love Him as He truly is. And we live in a world with a lot of idolatry, and ironically, one that combines that idolatry often with sexual immorality. It's just all over the place, right? Every entertainment and advertising ad tries to convince us that sexual immorality is fine and it will bring us the instant gratification we so desire. Just go ahead and worship at whatever altar you want, right? And give yourself to whatever you want to make yourself feel better in that moment. Right? It's, it's everywhere. It's It's everywhere in our society and in our culture. And we shine as we stay faithful to the Word of God and follow Jesus into true life and true joy and away from sinful false pleasures that the world offers. And we can be a compelling community and an alternative reality that the world can look at and see true joy, lasting hope, enduring love that doesn't depend on instant gratification. Right? We don't need to, uh, we, we should say what's true. We should say with humility and courage and love, we should stay faithful to the Word of God. Right? We should endure and hope and abstain from sin for our own joy, but also so that as the world realizes that all these things that is being promised to them are dead ends, because they will, because they are dead ends. They don't offer the true hope, the lasting joy that is promised in these various realities. When that happens, they'll go, man, what are you hoping? Where, where's, where's your joy? How do you find purpose and meaning in life? Well, we do not yell at them that they're wrong. We've got to be faithful to the Word of God, abstain from sin, find our true joy in Jesus, and be there be there at the end when the wheels come off and they go off the cliff, right? Love our neighbors this kind of way. So he commends them for their faithful devotion to the Word and their faithful abstinence from the sins of the world. But then he also confronts them. So I said before, faithful doctrine, faithful living, that's like everything. But it's missing something. It's missing this key ingredient, verses 4 to 5. It says, I have this against you. This is the confrontation. Imagine Jesus showing up. He's preaching a sermon. He says, I have something against you, church. (laughs) This is a serious word. This is not something that they would have received and taken lightly. King Jesus himself is showing up and saying, I've got issues with you. 
I've got some problems. You've been here for 40 years. You want to be here another 40. You need to listen to what I'm about to tell you. So here's what he says. I have this against you, that despite the doctrine and the living, he says that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Got all the right doctrine. (laughs) You're not a part of the world out there. But you don't love me like you used to. (laughs) You don't love your neighbors like you used to. You don't love your brothers and sisters like you used to. Do you remember he saying to them when you first came to Jesus and they were taking all your stuff and plundering your property and if you went to see your brothers and sisters in jail, you'd get in big trouble because then they'd know you were one of them and you still went and did it anyways? And you still witnessed to your neighbors and you still, you still went and engaged people with love because you just loved me so much you couldn't help yourself? Do you remember that? Where did that go? I mean, you've got all the right doctrine. It's good. Right? You're, you're living the right way. You're not, you're not doing the bad things. That's good. But do you still love me? Do you still love me? Almost all commentators would agree. This is referring to their initial love for Jesus and their, therefore their love for neighbors that flowed out of that love. In other words, they're staying faithful to true doctrine and they're avoiding sin, real commendation that's actually good, but it's not flowing from a place of love for Jesus and therefore there are not works of love for their neighbor. There's not passionate worship of Jesus or overflowing in their love for their neighbors because they've got all this passionate head knowledge and all this avoidance of the world, but there's no truth on fire with love for God and love for the lost world. He says, repent of your lack of love for me. Do the things you did at first when you really loved me. Or I'll take away your lampstand. Despite their faithfulness in really important ways, I think what Jesus is saying to them is, I want a church driven by love for me and doing works out of that love overflowing to your neighbors. I want a church faithful to the word and walking in holiness because you love me. Because you love me. And I want a church, a lampstand, burning with a holy flame of love for me and spreading out to those around them. I want a lampstand shining with holy love in the darkness. Let all see it and give me glory. Not a lampstand hidden away because it's afraid and angry at the world. Hide it under a bushel. <laughs> no. He's saying, let it burn in you and then let it shine out in love for your neighbors and the people around you. And, and here, here's the difference, right? So not only is this a, not only is, is not loving Jesus something worth repenting over, I hope you, hope you believe that and think, that yeah, that's obvious. That's like one of the most important things. I should repent if I'm not loving Jesus. But if we'd repent and let our hearts burn with love for Jesus, these other things are going to go away better long term, right? So we've all done things because we were supposed to. I, yesterday and for endless days coming, I can tell, will be raking leaves and gathering them. Now I'm wrapping my boys right into the joy of gathering them with me and my daughter. Um, but that's not that fun, right? 
It's not like I'm so into it that my neighbors are gathering around and they're like, let's rake leaves together. Let's do this together. This is awesome. But let me, so, so that's one way to do things. Do it from a sense of duty, right? I'm, I have to do this. This has to get done. I'm going to be faithful to doctrine. I'm going to abstain from sin. And then there's like what happened last night. Right? Quinn turned four and we had this, this dance party right at the end of the day. And when Quinn's in the middle of the circle, man, we could dance forever, right? Because her love and her joy in what she's doing, right, it draws us all in. Like, we want in, right? We want in on Quinn's energy and Quinn's joy and Quinn's love, right? Her heart is burning, and that kind of burning heart draws us all in, and we could just dance the night away because of that. And that's the difference, right? We want to be a people here, that would burn with love for Jesus, that would keep us faithful in teaching and living for a long time. Not a people that just go, we're supposed to do it. Let's do it. Or more dangerously, people that go, look at us. Look at our doctrine. Right? Look at how holy we are. Look at how different we are than them. Right? We want to be people like those. We love Jesus. <laughs> He's our all. He's our Savior. He's worth knowing. He's worth following. He's worth obeying. We love Him. I don't want that sin for me or for you, not because I just am not supposed to do it, but because I lose fellowship with my Savior. And if you'd come out of that sin into fellowship with Jesus, you wouldn't want it anymore either. I love Him. If you would just love Him, you'd understand that's the kind of people we want to be. That's why we've gone back to the basics recently. Love God with all your heart. Or love your neighbor as yourself. Our prayer is that our theological faithfulness and our abstaining from sin would be driven by love for Jesus, not any sense of pride or rote obedience. We don't want any of that here. We want it burning, overflowing from a love for Jesus, that our love for Jesus and faithfulness in these things would shine for the good of those in darkness. And that we'd engage in love instead of shrink back in fear and anger. We will shine as a lampstand if Jesus would walk among us, pour out His Spirit, and help us be faithful in word to guard against false ideas and abstain from the sin of our culture because we burn with love for Him and long to see others love and follow Him. So don't take for granted your burning love for Jesus in simple faithful living, in simple faithfulness to the Word of God as one of the ways that we're a light in this world. And finally, point number two, this is the more obvious one, but faithful pleading in a place as light. So 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. You want to turn there and look at it with me. So we want to be faithful in our living from a place of love as lights, as a lampstand. We want to be faithful pleaders in a place as lights. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21 says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If we burn with love for Jesus, it's because we've seen this. We know it's happened to us. 
And if we burn for love, with love for Jesus and the people in this place, then the message and the mission of reconciliation will also burn in our hearts, right? How, how could it not? Let me put it this way. Kids, have you ever jumped over a puddle in the rain? Right? Pretty easy. You can do it all on your own, right? You can get over that puddle pretty simply or maybe not get over it on purpose. But what if that puddle was a raging river? Imagine a river as, as wide as this whole room, kids, and it's, it's raging. Could you jump over it by yourself? Now, what if you had to jump over that raging river to get to eternal life? Like, if you stay on this side of the river, you're not going to make it. But if you can get over there, there's life forever. You need help. You'd want help. <laughs> you want someone to help you. You'd be looking around. you say, I need help. Now imagine someone showed up and showed you a bridge to go across. And they said, it's, it's actually the river. I know it looks scary, but if you just, just over here, there's a bridge. I'll, I'll take you to it. I'll walk you across. And imagine you get over across safely and it's better than you could have imagined. <laughs> Joy and happiness and delight and safety and rest. You'd be safe and full of joy. And then imagine you look across the river, right, and there's hundreds, thousands of other little kids, and they're all stuck. And you can see some of them are going to start to take the chance and get into the river. What should you do? You should show them the bridge, right? should show them the bridge, right? If you've all seen the bridge diagram, right? It's good. It's a good diagram, right? Because we should show them the bridge, right? We should want them to come across with us. This is what Jesus has done for us by the power of the Spirit. Our sin took us far from God, far from God, and we couldn't get to Him, we couldn't do enough to get to him. But Jesus never sinned and took all of our sin for us, gave us all of his righteousness. And because we're in him, we get to be with God now, by the Spirit and forever in his presence. Are you amazed by grace this morning? That's what grace is, that life and death. Are you amazed by Jesus? Are you burning with love for him? One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is the, the two guys walking with Jesus on the road, and he's talking to them, and then he just like disappears, right? He does one of his Jesus things, and it, what's recorded of their hearts is, didn't our hearts burn <laughs> within us when he was talking to us? And then what did they do? Do you remember? They ran back. They had made this long walk with Jesus. It was probably dark by the time they got there, but when their hearts burned with love for Jesus, they ran back. I won't get it right, but I think it's like seven miles or something like that, that they ran back to go and tell everyone else, he's alive. Jesus is alive. My Savior's alive. We're going to be okay. We have living hope. Our Savior's alive. There's hope. There's everlasting joy. All he said is true. We're saved. He's alive. What happens when your heart burns within you? You run back. You say, i got to tell you about Jesus. It's a joy to be an ambassador for him. An ambassador is someone living in a country that is not their own to tell people in that foreign land about their country. Right? To represent it. And that's what we do 
for Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. God has determined our boundaries and our dwelling places in these south cities to do just this until he returns. That's what he's doing. We burn with love for him. We remember all he's done for us. We go deeper in his word. We run away from sin that would wreck fellowship with him. And we live in this place telling people about their true home. You're not home. I can tell you about your true home. Right? You're, you're not home. This isn't really your country. I can tell you about a, a better country you can look forward to, an enduring one, a holy nation you can join, a, a royal priesthood you can be a part of. I can show you the way to this glorious place full of everlasting joy, unshakable hope, true life, and the way is Jesus. You can come with me right now. We're ambassadors in this place. We're a lampstand of the light of the gospel We're in this place for this place. We're lights that together form a lampstand of holy love in these south cities. Do you want to be a lampstand? (laughs) It's faithful for another 150 years. Wouldn't that be grace? Faithful living, faithful doctrine driven by burning love for Jesus. We're lights that form a lampstand of holy love and we are ambassadors that together form an embassy of holy love pleading for reconciliation in these south cities. We love God with all our hearts. Right? We love our neighbors as ourselves. We make disciples, bringing them into our lampstand to shine with us, bringing them into our embassy to speak with us, and we pray like crazy that God just keeps doing it as we trust His power and His presence with us every step of the way. Let's pray big prayers. Pray prayers that would lead to another 150 years of faithful shining and speaking in these south cities as a lampstand in an embassy of the king. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That'd be great if, if someday Jesus would allow us to, to glimpse back in to Lakeville and go, they're still there. <laughs> still shining, still speaking, people still coming in to the kingdom. Let me pray. So Jesus, we're going to come and eat and drink with you now. And Lord, we just, we just confess, I confess, it's easy to fall into the patterns the world would have us where it's always forming these us versus them sides and, and teams and issues. And God, we, we believe that you've placed us here and placed the people around us here that they might feel their way towards God. What a, what a privilege it is to be part of your story. What a, a privilege it is to by faithful living and doctrine from a place of burning love for you to be a lampstand for you. Lord, help us be a faithful lampstand. God, where we've not been faithful in our living, Lord, there are some in this room who have given themselves over to sexual sin and idolatry and bitterness and gossip and and ugly stuff. Thank you for the gospel. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would this moment of eating and drinking with you be a moment where we bring that to the foot of the cross and ask you to help us? We want fellowship with you. We want burning joy for for you, burning love for you that makes us leave behind these less, less joyful pleasures. God, help us to see reality as it is and leave them behind. Lord, keep us faithful. 
in our doctrine. Keep us faithful to your word because we want to know you rightly. You're worthy of that. You're the most beautiful, <laughs> amazing, glorious reality in the universe. And we want, to, we want to see you rightly. We want to get all that you are. We want to see every last corner and nook and cranny of your beauty and your glory and your goodness. Lord, help keep us faithful because of our burning love for you to faithful living and faithful doctrine. God, help us not do those things from any kind of rote obedience, from any sense of pride, but from a burning love for Jesus. And Lord, with that burning love for Jesus as we see him, trust him, and go deeper with him, and as we develop this love that overflows for our neighbors, Lord, would we be like those two disciples, Lord, eager to run and tell other people about what our hearts are telling us. We're in this place for this place, Lord. Forgive us for lack of faithfulness in all these ways. Forgive us for mindsets of us against them, Lord. Forgive us for, Lord, just a lack of urgency even about the eternal state of our our neighbors and the eternal state of these south cities, Lord. We need your help to have eyes to see you, eyes to see the people around us, and hearts to burn in a way that would keep us faithful in our speaking and in our living and in our shining for you. Lord, help us be faithful as lampstands and faithful as an embassy, telling true things about our King. Pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.